Hello. Excellent. Yes, that is on. How are you all doing? Good. Excellent. Hello. If I don't have I met you before, my name is Josh. I am coming to the end of a year being based part-time in St. John's, uh, helping with the community organising work, and I spend uh, the other half of my week uh, working in Westminster. And if, you have, if you're new to St. John's or, you have, or you've been away for a few months, you join us in the middle of a series looking at good news. So we've gone to two services, and we're asking the question, why have we gone to two services so that more people can come? But why do we want more people to come? What is the good news that we are inviting people into? And so over the course of the last few months, people have been sharing their stories and individual experiences of what this good news has meant to them. Uh, and I would encourage you to go and find the SoundCloud account and listen back to some of the sermons. Uh, particularly, I recommend uh, Mo's last week on what the good news has meant to him uh, was a profound and encouraging uh, reminder of what this good news is, about how marvellous this good news is. But I thought... This, uh, this morning, what I would do is reflect on some of the things that I have kind of particularly learnt over the last year about that good news, about what Christ is uh, to me, to us, in this context that we find ourselves in. I was struck a few weeks ago when listening to the new Arcade Fire song, Everything Now. Has anyone else heard that song? No? Okay, I'm fine. Go, go and listen to the uh, new Arcade Fire single, Everything Now. It's, it's wonderful. Arcade Fire are a brilliant band and are able to capture and frame and name stuff uh, that's happening in, in wider culture and society uh, in a way that it's also quite pleasant to listen to. Uh, but this song, Everything Now, is all about how much this, uh, this thing is demanding kind of everything they want now they, they keep on, the song returns to the cry everything now, everything now I can't live without I want it, I need it and it ends uh, with the refrain uh, everything now uh, till all the rooms in my house uh, are, are filled with stuff I cannot live without everything now, I need it everything now, I can't live without everything now, I can't live and then ends very poignantly with the line every inch of space in my heart is filled with something I'll never start. And I think that captures something quite profound about the cultural moment that we find ourselves in, that we are so eager for the next thing, so eager for more, so eager to consume, that we cannot actually be present to anything in particular, that we are overwhelmed. Sometimes we find ourselves paralyzed by choice or paralyzed by how complex the world is. That is perhaps where we find such simplistic messages being so successful as make America great again. But this is something that has been present uh, in the human condition uh, for as long as you want to look at. If you look throughout the Bible, you see a people crying to God, everything now, and God saying, no, I'm going to give you you what you need for this stage. When the Israelites are in the desert, they say, everything now, why, why did you take us out of Egypt? We had food there. But God's saying, no, there's something you need to learn here. And all throughout the Bible, there is this motif of people crying, everything now, people wanting more, and God saying, no, this is what I have for you here. And I think that the passage that we had read for us in Jeremiah is a particularly poignant example of that. Often we can find ourselves leaping to verse 11, And using it out of context, if I'm honest. 
using it in some ways to justify this everything now mentality that says, actually, God, the plans I have, I want you to fulfill. Uh, and well, you've, you've got plans for me, for my, for my welfare, to, to not harm me, so I have an idea about what that looks like, so, well, God's going to just deliver for me. But actually, if we look at the passage that was read for us and we look at the context that the letter is written into, we find something very different. So what's just happened in Jeremiah? Well, some, well what's happened is that an empire has taken over uh, the people of God and has carried some people away in, into Babylon. And back in Jerusalem, there is this uh, concern as to quote, what, what has God done for us? What, what is God doing here? When will God deliver us? So in, the, in chapter 28, uh, a prophet called Hananiah gets up and says, Waha, God, God has spoken to me. And what God says is that in a few years, in, in a matter of moments, he will break the yoke of the Babylonians and he'll carry us into freedom. And uh, the prophet Jeremiah, who is actually being spoken to by God, who is actually in tune with God's will, opposes Hananiah and says, no, that is not the case. We are going to be, these people are going to be in exile for much longer than that. Uh, and uh, and Hananiah continues uh, to say, no, no, we're going uh, to be fine. Uh, and eventually Jeremiah says, no, Hananiah, and to prove, prove that you're wrong, you will die. Uh, and within the year, Hananiah is dead. So it's in that context that chapter 29 is written uh, to the exiles in, uh, in Babylon, about having heard all these rumors about when God's going to deliver us. And so Jeremiah is writing this letter that says, basically, hang tight. Hang tight. You have been exiled into this place, and you are to invest in it. You are to marry. You are to seek its welfare. You are to be present to it, and you are not just to kind of retreat because this is, this, you are here for the long term. You are here for a while. And this is hard for them to hear as a people perhaps not used to waiting, but also people who have been dislocated from their, uh, their home, who have to get their heads around the fact that uh, Jerusalem, which is where they encounter God, actually they can no, they're not going to get back there anytime soon. But it's also hard for us because in some ways the message that we want to hear is actually God, you're going to deliver now and you're going to... Uh, come through now and everything's going to be fine and you're going to make you're, you're going to go with my ideas and do what I want you to do and you're going to make my ideas reality but instead what God says and this is where verse 11 is important is well because I've got plans for you and because I have know what is best for you and will deliver that in some ways I've got the plans for you so you can then focus on seeking the welfare here. So you don't need to worry about what comes next because God has sorted that and instead you can be present to what is here now. The word used for peace and prosperity or other translations have welfare in there is the word shalom, uh, which we sometimes translate as peace, sometimes translate as welfare, but also, but, but also has this element of completeness. So what what verse 11 and then what verse 7 are then saying is, 
the Lord is saying, because I have plans for your welfare, for your peace, for your completeness, you can then seek the completeness and welfare of the places that you find yourselves in. Notice he doesn't say you will achieve that completeness, that peace here, but in, but in part because of the, but instead because of the confidence that you have in me, you can then do small things, you can do small steps to seek the welfare of where you find yourselves in. And how much more true is this for us? That God's words have an extra resonance when we, stand, when we hear them on the other side of the cross. When we hear the completeness that God has spoken over us on the cross of Jesus Christ. And we know, yes, God, you do have plans for us. You have uh, sought our peace. You have sought our welfare. And so it's not our job. We are no longer responsible for finding meaning, significance, identity, because that is all found in you. So instead of desperately scrambling for the next thing, desperately scrambling for more, desperately scrambling to find ourselves, we have been found, and therefore we are able to be present to the place that we find ourselves in. And that is good news. That is good news that you don't have to worry about what is next. You don't have to worry about... Ah, justifying yourself. You don't have to be projects, plans, because God has that. So you can then be attentive to the people that he's brought you into. I think this is, uh, reflecting over the last year, this, this has been a lesson that in some ways I, have, I, I learned previously but have been relearning. Because I have been based into kind of two political contexts. I've been working in the House of Lords half the week and working in kind of community organising and local work uh, based out of this church uh, the other half the week. And I think in both contexts there is temptation to say, to want to justify yourself or to want to say, actually if I don't sort this thing out, if I don't bring completeness here then something has gone wrong, then I have failed in some way. And what passages like this and what the gospel reminds me is actually, no, that's not my job. I have found completeness in the gospel of Christ. And it's out of that that I am able to then, in very incomplete ways, witness to that. Very incomplete ways, work towards the welfare of the place I find myself in. And allow myself to be energized and galvanized by that. Because the reality is, as soon as you enter any form of organization or try to change anything it gets complex and it's very difficult so i have been working a lot on uh refugee issues in in westminster and i am kind of and i've and we've put a, a lot of time into uh kind of trying to meet with ministers and trying to raise issues and there are still people uh who are in camps there are still people dying in the Mediterranean, and there is you know it is impossible in some ways to quantify in any meaningful way anything that we, that kind of, as a result of what I've done, the situation's any better. And that's hard. And that should be hard, right? But that's in some ways okay because I'm not looking to that for my identity. So I'm not looking to that to justify myself. So instead I'm looking to the cross of Christ and saying, well, that is where I find my identity. So therefore I'm able to work out of that and do what little I can, take little steps. But I think this, this, I, this, this like, 
temptation to always plan, to always want to work for more, uh, and always want more, to justify yourself, to have security, is a real temptation. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, uh, Freya and myself, Freya's my fiancé, uh, and we were meeting with another couple to kind of just... Uh, particularly, we were both exploring ordained ministry, so we're meeting with uh, a couple to think about how those... How, how their ministries have worked together and how we might uh, pursue ours. And if I'm honest, I was going to that meeting looking for kind of quick fixes, looking for kind of tips, looking for a kind of master plan that I could then put into action and know how the next few decades of my life will sort out. And instead, annoyingly, what they just said was, no, you have to focus on what is next. And the Spirit will prompt you to go on and so it will prompt you as to what next, but it is step by step, it is step by step, and it's not about a master plan, it's not about a grand vision, but it is just about being attentive to where you find yourself. That's annoying, because I want that plan, I want that idea, I want that scheme, but I don't have it. Instead, I have Jesus. Uh, one of the joys of this year has been learning from you all in St. John's, but also learning from... Uh, my fellow interns and uh, I'm blessed to have gone through this year with uh, Shamara who is from a Pentecostal background and Dunstan who is uh, from a Catholic background and uh, they are both uh, incredibly bright and love Jesus so I'm grateful that Dunstan wrote a couple weeks ago a beautiful piece on community organizing and what it means and he quoted uh, Pope Francis uh, when Pope Francis writes, realities simply are, whereas ideas are worked out. It is dangerous to dwell in the realm of words alone, of images of rhetoric. So a third principle comes into play. Realities are greater than ideas. We have politicians and even religious leaders who wonder why people do not understand and follow them, since their proposals are so clear and logical. Perhaps it's because they are stuck in the realm of pure ideas and end up producing politics or faith to rhetoric. See, the irony is that as soon as we get so concerned with our own plans, with our own proposals, we lose sight of what is in front of us. We lose sight of ways in which God actually be marking our midst. And so what Pope Francis is saying is, instead of focusing on your own ideas, instead of focusing on your plans, be attentive to the, what the Spirit is doing here and act move into what the Spirit is doing, rather than simply saying, oh, I have all these plans, I have these dreams, and therefore kind of keeping in the ideas, in the realm of ideas. Because I love ideas, I am prone to intellectualize, and if I'm honest, ideas are safe. You don't find that ideas don't fail. Whereas when you act, when you move into the realm of action, when you actually start to do what God is, joining with what God is doing, then you might fail, and you have to ask yourself, where does my identity actually lie? Is it in what I'm doing? Is it in what I'm seen to be doing? Or is it in the cross of Christ? So where does this leave us? Well, I think in some ways it's, it should be a reassurance because a lot of this stuff, I, you know, uh, this is something I've learned at St. John's. St. John's is wonderful at being attentive to what the Spirit is doing among the people that, he, that God has called here. 
And so the encouragement is, don't be concerned about what you want the Spirit to be doing to the exclusion of what the Spirit is actually doing. And if you want to step into that good news, if you want to live with Jesus, if you want to be living with the Spirit, then you need to first listen. You need to listen to what the Spirit is saying, and you need to be listening to what other people are saying. We cannot come to communities, whether that be Hoxton, whether that be St. John's, with our own plans, with our own ideas, and impose them on people. I think someone who captures this profoundly is Diedrich Bonhoeffer, who writes in Life Together, and this is quite incendiary, and I'm not sure I agree with quite the strength of him saying this, but hear me out. He says, God hates visionary dreaming. It makes the dreamer proud and pretentious. The man who fashions a visionary ideal of community demands that it be realized by God, by others, and by himself. He enters the community of Christians with his demands, sets up his own law, and judges the brethren and God himself accordingly. But, he says, because God has already laid the only foundation of our fellowship, because God has bound us together in one body with other Christians in Jesus Christ, long before we entered into common life with them. We enter into that common life not as demanders, but as thankful recipients. Christian brother and sisterhood is not an ideal which we must realize. It is rather a reality created by God in Christ in which we must participate. The more clearly we we learn to recognize that the ground and strength and promise of all our fellowship is in Jesus Christ alone, the more serenely shall we think of our fellowship and pray and hope for it. So that is the good news. You don't need to worry about who you are, who other people are, about trying to impose your ideas on what people are. You can instead embrace the reality that God has called you into. You can see what the Spirit is doing in that place, and you can join in. But because reality is dark, because reality is difficult, that is the only way we can do that is by first grasping the deeper, truer, wide reality of the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That that is where the ground of our fellowship starts and ends. And so because we are, as a people, united around Christ, we are then able to say, this is who I am, with all my failings, with all my weaknesses. This is who you are, with all your failings and all your weaknesses. We are able to listen to what the Spirit is saying in this place, to us, to you, to me, we are able to discern what to do next. And we are able to share even more the good news of Jesus Christ. Let us pray. God, thank you that your plans are not our plans. Thank you that you free us from having to justify ourselves. You free us from having to get everything sorted. Thank you that you have been in our workplaces, in our homes, in our churches, well before we were there, and you'll be there long after. Lord, may we fix our eyes upon you. May we fix your eyes upon your saving work. And may that free us to join in with the incomplete work of your kingdom, so that one day when you return, you will take our work, and you will draw forth, and you will finish that work in your return.
but God, may our status as sons and daughters of you, may that uh, drive us even deeper uh, into the place that we find ourselves in. May we learn to listen to what the Spirit is doing in people as we find ourselves. May we become people that work with the realities of situations and not simply how we want them to be. May we live in the world as it is, not as we want it to be. May we live with people as they are, not as we want them to be. And may we see your spirit move. Amen.